0: Hey this is Dennis Sanders. Today we take a look at the schism that's taking place within United Methodist Church from one pastor's perspective. This is episode 151 of Church and Maine. Welcome to Church in Maine, the podcast that's at the intersection of faith and modern life. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. For those who are just listening to this for the first time, uh, I am a pastor and a podcaster living in Minnesota. And um, it is August. 2023 is moving pretty fast. I hope that your summer is going well. So if you listen to the last episode, episode 150 with David Watson, you may have heard something about the Global Methodist Church. Uh, David himself is um, ordained uh, United Methodist and has um, moved over to the the Global Methodist Church. This body is a new denomination. It has uh, split from the United Methodist Church. And this is all happening after years, well, actually decades of fighting over the issue of homosexuality and some other issues but mainly on, on that issue. And there's a lot of chaos kind of taking place within the uh, the United Methodist Church right now. In some United Methodist Annual Conferences, you have almost in some cases about half of the churches that are leaving to join the Global Methodist Church or other bodies or even going independent. Now all of this kind of upheaval for some is a good thing. It allows the respective bodies to act as they see fit. And yet for others, there is heartache. It was interesting in, in talking to David of his own heartache and and feeling that he had to leave. Um, That is not always an easy issue and splitting up um, can be hard and difficult. So, um, Today, we're going to hear about what this kind of schism looks like from the perspective of one pastor. Um, ben Gosden is uh, the lead pastor of Trinity United Methodist Church in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, this is not his first time on the podcast. It's actually his third time. Um, he is also the host of the Faith Revisited podcast. And I wanted to have him on kind of as an update to get the lay of the land Especially from his viewpoint in the South Georgia Annual Conference, and to chat a bit about the future of the United Methodist Church as a whole. So, really, without uh, further ado, listen to this interview with Ben Gosden. taking the time to come back on this is uh, your third time actually on the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be back. Always love sitting down chatting with you.
0: So, I think um part of the whole point of this uh of our this time for you is there are two articles that you've written. One was written about a year ago and another one just recently um a year ago the one that you wrote a year ago was really to see that this was about the ongoing um kind of divisions that are happening, and basically churches pulling out um of the u m c is a, a cause for for church planting um for new ministry opportunities um and then also you wrote an article about how we do this um how do we leave in a way that is um, for for lack of a better word Christian and mm-hmm. not in a way that is antagonistic towards one another. Um, Looking at it from your viewpoint in the, um, in your conference, how are things going?
1: You know, in many ways, I don't want to use the term divorce because I'm, some people don't like that term. Um, I mean, my parents got divorced, so I feel like I have liberty to, use that analogy, but we're going through a breakup. Let's just say that. And all the normal feelings that happen when you break up with someone are happening. Um, The truth is we know that this, this relationship was not going to be salvageable. There, there are people who have just made up their minds that the United Methodist Church is moving in a direction that they cannot abide. Um, and so the better part of this past year has been spent with churches pushing to hasten this breakup rather than waiting for general conference, rather than waiting, listening to our Bishop, you know, they said, nope, the opening is now, now's the time to do it. And in many ways, I understand it. I mean, I have friends who said, you know, if if we've decided today, what's waiting two years going to do for us other than just make us more and more miserable with each other and there are many ways that if you look at a breakup I mean we've all had that relationship that we knew should have ended about six months before it actually ended and 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 neither of us really had the guts to to do it and pull the trigger and so we kind of just sat there and just were miserable together um so I understand that feeling and I understand those who feel like God is leading them in a particular direction that the church operate a particular way, And that that way is in line with their interpretation of Christian teaching and history. And therefore, you know, don't mess with it. Don't tread on it. Okay, fine. Um, but, but (laughs) when the actual breakup takes place, you know, it's never as clean as you want it to be. What you try to do is you, you just try to minimize the collateral damage. um, And so I think we have been for the last at least probably four months working on cleaning up collateral damage. There's been a lot of hurt feelings. There have been things not necessarily true said about people on both sides. Unfair judgments. Um, People have felt exiled. People have felt lied about. People have felt like we've lost integrity in some ways as we navigate this. And I, I, you know, a year ago, before we knew all this was going to happen, I probably had a more idealistic vision of how this could happen. I didn't I knew a year ago this is this is what was going to happen. We were going to split in a major way. Um, And I knew that my annual conference, once Judicial Council made the ruling that an annual conference could not as a unit pull out of the United Methodist Church and leave, I knew that my annual conference was going to split in a very nasty way. Um, And I guess I had an idealistic vision a year ago of how that would happen. Not if, I knew it, it was, but how. Um, today, I, I don't think, I think there are just some things that are hard. And we're human beings and human beings are made to do difficult things sometimes. And I think we are doing the best we can with the light we have in trying to move forward. Um, our South Georgia Global Methodist Church is having their first annual conference next month. And that's great. I mean, we have pastors. The appointment cycle was hard. Some pastors were kind of hedging bets on both sides, which some people get mad about. But I'm going, hey, if you're in the middle on this issue, you could go either way. You got kids. You got you got put food on the table. Like you're you're trying to line up your best appointment opportunity so that you can just live. I I'm not gonna hate on you for that. So we've gone through those things. Lay people have really had their feelings hurt, hearts ripped out. They, there's a whole grieving process we could go into that that really. I, now that I've seen a couple of cycles of it, I I can map for you a grieving process that basically follows. The- the same pattern no matter where this happens um so all of that is kind of coming into this season that that we're beginning to settle we've lost 50 percent of our annual conference we had 600 churches we now have just under 300 Hmm. Um, we have lost we now have more retired clergy than we do appointed clergy which is is unprecedented and it's because a lot of appointed clergy left with their churches um, <clears throat> our budget, you know, is taking a major 30% hit. I mean, but, but, but in many ways, we're beginning to right size that budget, which we've actually been doing for the last 10 years. It's just now has more necessity around it. Um, so, so, I mean, there's some long, there there's some easing of the stress in the system that I think is on the horizon. People are beginning to settle into new homes, whether you're in a different denomination or you're in this one and the annual conference looks very different. Um, so, I mean, I guess all in all, we're just going through many symptoms of just a normal breakup.
0: So where does this has been something that's been kind of something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is where do you think the role of forgiveness factors in in all of this? Because yeah, you know, you're talking about a painful breakup and you've used the rhetoric of divorce and divorces can be sometimes very ugly. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But of course, you know, this is the church. So how does how mm-hmm. does forgiveness fit in?
1: That's a good question. I think time will tell. We all know that there are different expressions and layers of forgiveness and you're not able to unload all of them at once. Um There are sometimes miles between forgiveness and reconciliation, and those miles sometimes can never be um, chartered again. I don't know. I don't know that we're there. I can tell you we're not ready to reconcile. Um, My former district superintendent, who is now left for the Global Methodist Church, used to use the analogy that we can't live in the same house anymore. We can live in the same neighborhood, but we need to move out. And my point is, yeah, I agree. Um, Right now, there are some who tend to keep up with the business of the United Methodist Church a little too much and kind of keep a nose over here and what's going on. And, you know, they're paying attention to delegation elections we had last week. And, you know, I want to graciously tell some like, hey. We can't live in the same house, same neighborhood. So stop coming over to do your laundry every Sunday night. You have a house now. You need to stay over there. So I think right now we can forgive in our hearts to the best of our ability. We can trust that God's forgiveness will unfold over time. But I I do not think for most today is the day, June 21st, 2023, is the day that we can forgive and forget. Um, I do think there'll be a day when we can do more and more together and collaborate and, and, and work together. And, you know, I think that there there will be a, a thawing of because of, now we've set in from from rancor and anger into ice. It is don't call me. I'm unfriending you. I'm blocking. Like I don't even want to pay attention to what you're doing at your church anymore. Like there's a lot of people who've said I've unfollowed people. I've unfriended people. And it's not that I hate them. It's that I don't want to have it put in my face that they're leaving is just constantly in front of me and that it, it, it hurts. And so there's a step. We're now in the we need to be in separate rooms, separate areas, separate. Now, nah, give us a couple years. Let General Conference come and go. Let some things settle out. Let the new denomination get its feet under it. And maybe we can we can have um, a season for for forgiveness. I don't know. It's a good question. And I don't say that with malice. I don't, I don't have any malice. I'm just, I'm just being realistic about again, how breakups go. You can forgive that ex, but you ain't going to do it the day they move out. Mm-hmm. You, know, you kind of have to have a time to, you got to go through your feelings. You know, you got to sort through some stuff um, or else it becomes cheap grace.
0: Yeah. So, how, I mean, how does it feel? And, and you know, i been following with some of the other conferences and things, but, you know, losing basically half of your churches that that's, I mean, not even just on a financial grounding, just the sheer numbers of that can be, um, staggering. And I mean, how does that affect people emotionally? Um,
1: Interestingly enough, people, because we did our big disaffiliation of 200 plus churches three weeks before annual conference online, people came to annual conference really down in the doldrums of, you know, we're going to be in this big conference center and <clears throat> it's going to feel hollow and empty and no one's going to be there and it's just going to be this dep- Pressing reminder of how many churches we just lost. And you know what's funny? We actually had tentatively made plans to move annual conference next year in the same town, Tifton, Georgia, to move it to the Methodist church. Because we said, well, you know, we've shrunk so much. We just can't we can't justify the expense of this conference center anymore. And we'll just do everything at the church and yada, yada, yada. Well, do you know what happened by the end of the week? Conference officials and the bishop said, you know what, I think we can come back to the conference center. All of a sudden, they looked around, and what they had prepared themselves for is this big, depressing moment. They go, "There's people here. We're still an annual conference. It's smaller. It, it 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 looks different. And by the way, Dennis, can I be honest? Mm-hmm. It feels a lot more diverse. Hmm. There's a direct and I and I'm not. There's no accusation. This is no causation and correlation. But there is a direct proportional relationship. that the statistics are out. The churches disaffiliating are, by and large, white churches. Well, when you take 50 percent of the churches out, 90 plus 100 percent of them white. Now, all of a sudden, you shrink those proportions down and your your non-white presence at annual conference feels more present mm. because they're a bigger proportion. So the conference feels different but there's a lot more people than I think folks expected. It felt full. It was vibrant. It was it was different. It was smaller, but you know, it wasn't it wasn't nearly as bad as I think we had made it out to be. So I think leaving annual conference <clears throat> there's there's losses. I mean, and 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 there's going to be a big big deal at jurisdictional conference next year about potentially merging annual conferences. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the big thing on the agenda. and and we may have to merge with somebody in the long term, but I, we are still a strong annual conference, even with fifty percent of the churches leaving. So you know, it's just different mm.
0: so one of the things that you talked about a year ago was mm-hmm. the opportunity of when churches are leaving, uh, the opportunity of planting new churches and yeah. new communities. Is that something that you still think is a possibility, and are there opportunities for that in your conference and throughout the denomination, or have your views changed on that?
1: I think it's a possibility and a reality. Okay. We have three church plants right now moving toward potentially being independent congregations, station churches as we call them. Um, We have a number of new expressions of church, home churches fresh expressions, things like that, that are popping up all over. Um, <clears throat> we are a more connectional church because a lot of these new expressions are having to latch on to partners mm-hmm. in order to kind of have a sense of connection and get their get their grounding. Um, yeah. Now's the time to plant churches. Now, I mean, you have entire deserts, um, towns where the entire United Methodist Church's presence is gone, which means that <coughs> – does not mean that there are no United Methodists in that town because a lot of these churches had 80-20 votes. 20% of their church still wanted to be Methodist, which means five churches, 20% of those five churches want to be United Methodist. You could have the potential of creating one strong United Methodist church out of that. And so conferences all over the country are now relaunching um, new churches. Many of them are relaunching with... Um, these new denominational refugees, you know, I even, I I was with a group of of them in Albany, Georgia the other week. And I said, you know, you all are in a refugee camp right now. Hmm. You've lost your church. You don't have your permanent home yet. You're living in a camp. We need to keep you safe. We need to make sure your spiritual needs are met. We need y'all to keep meeting like, no, this is not going to be the exciting new thing that God has for you yet, but you are, you're moving toward that. But in the meantime, you're in a refugee camp where basic needs need to be met. You're meeting in a fellowship hall. You need to form community. You need to start thinking about the future, but you're not in it yet. Um, so, yeah. yo, yeah. Now is definitely a season to, to plant churches.
0: And do you see that happening in various conferences?
1: Yeah, I do. I see it happening all over many conferences and they're doing it in different ways. We're taking probably a little bit slower approach, but with the hope being that the intentionality piece, um, I don't want to set people up who've just lost their church for failure, that we promise them more than we can deliver them. And we don't have the money to pay a full-time pastor with benefits and parsonage and buy a building and all these things that they may want. We have to come at it a different way. So I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver because that's all that, that is, is is a whole nother letdown. I would rather underpromise and challenge them to, with God's help, make it ha- happen. <clears throat> and then they have, you know, the, I, I tell people I, I chair our congregational development board now. We have a staff person who's in charge of this work, but I chair the board and really work closely with her on strategy. And I tell people, you know, you are now the pioneers. You're the ones that future generations of this church are going to remember as being the ones who sacrificed to make this happen. You you may even be Moses, that hmm. that you're not in the promised land. You know, God may give you a vision of it, but you may not even fully see it. But the work you do now will benefit future generations. Um, we, my church has a home group in Albany, Georgia, that started with um, six people and is up to about twenty five people, hmm. and and it's, it we call it pool church. It, it's in someone's pool deck, um, big TV that they you know watch football or whatever by the pool. Um, turn on our live stream worship. We sent them a box of United Methodist hymnals. They print out orders of worship. They gather on the pool furniture. They sing. They pray. They do the online worship, but they do it as a group of 20. And they do this every week. They gather, they love each other. They have this great hospitality spread. I have two lay people in charge of it. Um, yeah, I, I'm very much that this is the future. And, you know, my hope, we've got another group down in Thomasville, Georgia, that is gangbusters. I mean, they're, they're going to be needing a building soon. Um, So there are different ways of getting at this. My church has planted this church, and we may well adopt the second group that's in Albany, Georgia. <clears throat> I mean, I, I'm, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's even room that if your church has a vision for this kind of thing, that you create a network. Mm-hmm. You know, the annual conference can't do everything. Most conference budgets are getting slashed. And so you've got to have strong, viable local churches that can help partner to help make these things happen. So, yeah, I very much think this is the time for church planting.
0: Hmm. Where do you think you see the the United Methodist Church in five, ten years down the road with after, you know, some of the, the, the drama the, that we're dealing with right now is somewhat lessened. Um, you know, there are some and I see some online that. No, they're kind of enjoying this a little bit too much, which I don't think is an occasion for enjoyment, and and I don't think that's I have anything against, and, and I know people who are in the, the Global Methodist Church as well, um, so nothing against them, but where do you see the future for the denomination um, in that they will be a, a smaller, somewhat, maybe a, a smaller denomination, but... You know, is there still hope for for growth for for yeah. vitality?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, what you're describing, <laughs> there's always the in 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 any breakup. You know, and and the thing with this is, is it involves so many different people. All of us are fallible, sinful. Mm-hmm. People. So it's it's compounds and com- adds complexities to the breakup. But you know, isn't it true in all breakups that that there's always this little like. Told you so. I told you so. I knew that this was gonna happen. You may not say it to your ex, but you say it to other people. Like it's that it's that, let's go out for drinks, let's have coffee, and let's just just just, just gripe and complain about all the breakup. And I knew they were terrible. And then the friends are like, Yeah, I knew it. I didn't want to tell you anything, but I knew that they weren't right for you, all that stuff. That's that's that snark that you're naming on Twitter everyone's got an opinion. Everybody called this 10 years ago. Everybody, listen, five to 10 years, if they're still living in that reality, then they've missed what God's doing in in their midst. Mm -hmm. I think the future is more missional. I think the future is probably going to need to be more nimble, which means we're going to have to address the elephant in the room, which is not human sexuality. It is the, Ginormous bureaucracy that is almost a too big to fail situation. We cannot afford the large agency level ministries that we have always afforded. Not that they don't do good work, but we cannot afford them in the same ways. local they, 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 those things are funded on the backs of local churches who are coming out of a global pandemic, annual conferences who are being split in half. The general church cannot exist at the size it has always existed because it's it's funded, you know, coming down the food chain. Well, the bottom of the food chain is exhausted and, and running out of resources. Local churches need a season. I, 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 I will tell you that on the general church level, there are some lines in there that I would think should declare a year of Jubilee. They have so much reserves piled up. That to tell churches and conferences that we'll give you a year of jubilee, Hmm. to get your feet back under you, to to, to reassess resources, reallocate, to get your connectional footing back after all all these catastrophes, catastrophic things that have affected us. I think those general agencies should do that. Mm -hmm. Um, That said... I still think the vision of the United Methodist Church is there. It's just going to be pushed and stretched to find new ways to express itself. It's always been a denomination uniquely formed around social and personal holiness. It's about discipleship, and, 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 and it's about you know being a part of, of God's transforming love in the world. So, you know, it's just we just got to we got to rediscover that, I think.
0: Do you think that that has been something that has been lost over the years and especially more recently?
1: Yeah, I mean, things distract you. Um, You know, the bureaucracy, um, you reach a certain size that institutions turn inward on themselves and whether we want to admit it or not, the work of the institution is to self-perpetuate the institution. The work of Methodism has always been a movement of God in the world. Institutions are needed to to promote and preserve the long-term health of that movement, but we have long teetered into the self-preservation for the sake of self-preservation mode. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to get, at, get out of that. Resources will need to be spent, reallocated. We'll lose them. Um, but, you know, I, I think in many cases. I mean, the words of Jesus should really haunt us. That those who want to save their lives will lose it but those who lose their lives for my sake will save them mm-hmm. that's a word for us
0: mm. one of the things that i always wonder obviously the this the issue of human sexuality was an issue that has gone throughout most of mainline protestantism it's now actually becoming very much an issue and in, in among evangelical denominations mm-hmm. as well. Um, and
1: yeah, kids are born in, in evangelical churches too. E- exactly. Wonder of wonders.
0: Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> not to detract from the issue, obviously, again, as I've always said, this is kind of obviously an issue personal for me, but is there, was that really the issue that was? Was that really the issue, in among United Methodists, or was it one of many? Because you know, this was a, a denomination of people from you know various backgrounds, and 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 it's a worldwide denomination, not just a national denomination. Uh, people from different theological backgrounds. You know, was this was sexuality the the central issue, or was that really one part of a larger cog of 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 you know of concern that caused all of this?
1: I think that's hard to tell, and I, I I'm probably underqualified to answer that. I, I <clears throat> for anyone who is so sure that it was never the issue, I would warn them then you're missing the harm that's being done to people. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who thinks it's the only issue, I would warn you to say you need to peel that back and see what else is underneath the surface. Mm -hmm. One thing that I affectionately refer to without calling names, the, the U M Twitter bros there's, and you you know who they are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One thing they are right about is that this is this is an expression of a larger theological divide. Methodism has been living into this for the last sixty years, really since our merger in nineteen sixty eight. We have always been this very interesting mix of highbrow refined, educated, mainline Protestantism, and at the same time, this evangelical, field preaching, you know, um, holy rolling denominator, we've been both. And I think at our best, we probably do live somewhere in the tension of, of those polemics, And probably God would say it's unfair that we put them on opposite sides of each other, that they really should be the same. That said, I think that there. I think that what we're seeing is a couple of things, a perfect storm of a couple of things happening. One is. Modernism. Modernism and sort of the industrial view of denominationalism is finally come for United Methodism and saying it's over. You, This is, you know, the, the industrial assembly line, this works because it's always worked the way we've done it. <clears throat> we were so large, it took a while for it, to cut for that reality that it's over to come to us. Now it's here. Um, I also think... That if you find yourself on the extreme of either of those, you know, in that dualistic way of thinking, personal holiness and social holiness, if you find yourself too far on either extreme, then you're going to be highly uncomfortable with where we're going. Mm -hmm. I've never agreed that this is an issue of biblical interpretation, that it's about whether you believe the Bible or not. Anyone who frames it as that is simplistic. But I do believe that there's a way of reading Scripture that comes from a tradition steeped in church tradition, but it's much more Reformed than it is Wesleyan. Hmm. One of the most frustrating things about John Wesley is that John Wesley wrote a whole lot of things, but systematic theology was not one of them. He wrote very little on systematic theology. Now, he had opinions, but Wesley was not a systematic theologian. And so we are left in our tradition to interpret a lot of Christian teaching through a Wesleyan lens. And then the question becomes, which Wesleyan lens? The John Wesley in his sermons, who seemed to have a very rigid theology. Or what about the John Wesley in his letters, which is a much more gracious pastoral John Wesley? You know, the John Wesley who believed in this broad notion of grace, or the John Wesley who had this narrow version of salvation. Which one is it? On any given day and on any given issue, we could we could kind of follow that and track it you know, in in any direction. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's been a perfect storm that people inclined to sort of align themselves in particular directions based on a more traditional reformed with a Wesleyan flavor. And that's probably unfair. And people who agree with that would probably say I'm bastardizing that answer, but I mean, it's the best I can do. Um, I think that they're realizing that we're shifting back toward a more mainline expression of what of Methodism. And maybe, maybe it's it's not evangelical enough for them. Mm-hmm. It's not traditional enough. That's the thing that 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 I've always gotten frustrated with traditionalists in our church who who hold this more um conservative view on human sexuality and stuff, and who say well, the, the Methodist church is is going um Progressive, it's not going progressive. It's just not going traditional enough for you. Hmm. Because I know traditionalists who want to stay United Methodist. They have no problem. I mean, they're like, "Yeah, I'm going to be what I'm going to." There's room for me. But people who say I have to leave, it's not. It's not us. It's you. You know, I'm learning. This is one of the truths in recovery that 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 you learn is that usually whenever you're upset about something, it says more about what's wrong in you than it does the other person. Hmm. And I would say that ask yourself what's really going on in you that makes you feel so strongly. You know, so yeah. I mean, I, I I think there's a perfect storm of things. It's it's all it's it's always complex.
0: Where do you think that the on the issue of human sexuality as things are starting to kind of shake out? Where do you think that the UMC will settle? Um, we all saw what happened in 2019, um, but. At the general conference special General Conference, then, but where do you think that that's headed?
1: Well, in good Methodist form, we're going to have to shift the way that we see ourselves before we can settle that issue. Mm-hmm. rather than taking one large global vote, I think that we will see a regionalization and let the regions localize the issue. So conferences in Africa may take a vote. conferences in Europe may take a vote. Conferences in the United States may take a vote. We'll see a more equal regionalization take place probably at this general conference next year. Um, And the truth is, over 40% of our denomination and probably over 50% now exist outside of the bounds of the United States. And yet 98% of the business general conference handles is United States centered business. So we need to right size ourselves in the in the denomination, which may mean that we're one of many regional conferences mm-hmm. instead of the main conference um, once that happens then then I, I, I would just about bet and say that the odds are pretty darn good um, that if the Amer- if, if if the United States becomes or even North America which is mostly United States, you know, becomes a regional conference, you'll very quickly see a change toward a more inclusive United Methodist Church.
0: Hmm. And do you think that we kind of talked about this earlier, I don't know, 10, 15 years down the road, that there might be some, I won't say, rapprochement, Well, maybe that is what I'm trying to say, but you know, that it won't be bygones, bygones, but to again continue with the divorce analogy that at least you'll be able to say hello to one another with the global Methodist church.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, and and even within that, I, you know, I don't, I'm, I've never been in favor of mandating changes. Mm -hmm. You know, I think people, I don't think any, most of the time, even when it came down to, Let's, let's take the Civil Rights Act for an example. And you say, well, you needed the government to mandate civil rights. And I would say, yes, you did. But it didn't make white people like black people anymore. If anything, it might have even set you back a little bit that they became resentful. I think we've learned during COVID, people don't even like to be told to put on a mask or get a shot. Mm-hmm. much less now you must start doing same-sex weddings in your local church. Now your conference must start ordaining. And so I've always thought that a contextualized version of that, that if a church wants to do a wedding, let them do a wedding. If they don't, okay, it's on them. Just like we decide what kind of flower petals you drop down the center aisle, whatever. Annual conferences the same way. If you want to ordain a homosexual, If they're talented and called and all that kind of stuff, okay. If your board of ministry doesn't, okay. I mean, you know, obviously people will push to continue to move that forward at the annual conference level, but that's a better discussion to be had at a more local level than from on high coming down. Mm -hmm. People don't realize that the Episcopal church does not mandate same-sex weddings. Most Mm dioceses, You know, it's, it's now most choose to do it, but they don't force them. One of the fastest growing Episcopal churches in the country is in Houston, Texas, and they do not do same-sex weddings. Hmm. The, 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 the rector will go sit in a sanctuary and celebrate his lay people getting married, but he will not perform the ceremony. Now, that's, that's a middle ground that could be the future of the United Methodist Church. Not to say, I mean, but which is to say that we can find common ground to love each other, even if we don't necessarily bend the way we do things. I don't want to do your wedding, but I'm not going to be a turd and refuse to even honor that you're getting married. I'm going to go and love you and be your pastor, even if I don't do the wedding. So to me, that's where I hope we're heading and and local churches can make better decisions for what happens in their church. Annual conferences can make better decisions about what happens in the annual conference.
0: Okay. Um, if people want to find out more about where you are on the Internet and um, also you have a podcast, um, how can they find those out?
1: Yeah. Uh, Twitter at B Gosden, G-O-S-D-E-N. Podcast is the Faith Revisited Podcast I do with my partner, Molly Carlson. Uh, we talk about a variety of issues facing the church, people of faith, and and the world as two millennials see it.
0: All right. Well, Ben Gosden, thank you for this kind of look into what's going on um, in the world of Methodism, and um, hope to have you back on again very soon.
1: Thank you, Dennis. Always a pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for listening. There are a lot of different ways that you can support this podcast. One is by leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can also consider subscribing uh, to this podcast via Substack. Um, that's a great way to get it in your inbox once it goes live. And you can go to Maine all one word, com to subscribe. Also, while you're on Substack, you can consider... Uh, uh, purchasing a paid subscription. And that can be for $5 a month or for $60 a year. I do want to apologize for kind of the lack of episodes in July. Um, as I said in my last episode, um, my mother um, had a stroke in early July. And so the past month has been really kind of crazy. Um, my husband and I have been very busy taking care of mom um, and also trying to get her moved um, into an assisted living facility, which she has is moving in, has moved into. Um, and then I also had uh, some time away. I went to um, the General Assembly of of my denomination, the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Louisville. So there was a lot of busyness in July. Um, just to let you know, she continues to get better. She is speaking more clearly. Um, she still has to kind of... Um, and, and she is walking better um, but if you can please continue to keep her in your prayers um, that would be very helpful there are episodes um, some up- upcoming episodes coming up in the next few weeks that I hope I can uh, get produced uh, that I hope is uh, including one that is dealing with general Assembly that was recorded um, with um, Frequent guest here on the podcast, uh, Lauren Richmond, Jr., as we talk, got our own viewpoints on the on the, the General Assembly uh, that will be coming up soon. It will be a joint one uh, with his Future Christian podcast. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, so stay tuned for that, and you'll see those things happening. That is it for this episode of Church in Maine. That is episode 151. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Again, thank you so much for listening. Take care, Godspeed, and I will see you very soon.